Come in. Welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall. A person is always startled when he hears himself seriously called old for the first time. Said Oliver Wendell Holmes. Startled and perhaps more than just a trifle disconcerted. But as with so many things, age is something most of us eventually get used to. So used to, in fact, that in some cases, we seem to become unrecognizable from the persons we were in our youth. But are we? Our mystery drama, Dr. Heidegger's Experiment, is based on a story by Nathaniel Hawthorne. It was adapted especially for Radio Mystery Theater by Percy Granger and stars Gordon Heath and Robert Dryden. It is sponsored in part by Contact, the 12-hour coal capsule, and Buick Motor Division. I'll be back shortly with Act One. Life and time are our only real possessions, someone once said. And it would seem to follow that no one who is alive can be said to be totally indigent. Yet, don't we all know people who have given up on life, who have allowed the burden of failure and disappointment to reduce them to mere ciphers, content only to wait out their time? There is perhaps only one thing which could bring back such persons within the pale of the living. We're in a small New England village. The time is the last century. An eccentric older man, Dr. Heidegger, is about to pay the last of four visits to ancient friends of his on a very singular mission. Yes, Charles Medbone? Yes, who's that? Oh, Dr. Heidegger. What do you want? I didn't send for you. I've come of my own accord. Why? You performed some of your sorcery and seen me marked for illness in the curling smoke of the candle. I was hoping I might have a word with you. Oh, a social visit then. No, not entirely. Though I'm always delighted to see my oldest friends. Well, come in, come in. Thank you. And how are you getting on, Charles? I am, as you see me, Doctor, not so very far from the grave. I shall be glad to be delivered of this life. It was your own frantic speculations which reduced you from the successful merchant you were to your present condition. I do not need to be reminded of my follies. But how have you been? You still potter about in that medieval alchemist chamber of yours? If you are referring to my study, yes. You've quite a sinister reputation among the younger people in town. I know. What is it you've come for? I wish to invite you to my house tomorrow. For dinner? No, it's on a matter in which I would be most grateful for your assistance. Oh. Well, for what? Oh, just one of those little experiments with which I amuse myself in my study. What kind of experiment? I'd prefer not to say until we are all gathered. All? Who else is coming? Three people, all of whom are known to you. Colonel Killigrew and the Zeke Gascoigne. And the third? The Widow Witcherly. Clara? She'll be there? Yes. The three of you were early loves of hers. 
I believe. I'm sure I don't remember. Well, I've asked them for four o'clock. May I count on you as well? But of what use can people our age be in one of your experiments? You'll understand tomorrow. Doctor, your housekeeper directed me here to your study. Carl Killigrew. Did I get the wrong day? Uh, no, no, not at all. Uh, come in, please. Uh, uh, give my expression of surprise, but you see, I fancy myself as a student of human nature, Carl. And it was not my estimate that you would be the first to arrive. I admit I was never known for my reliability in the old days, Doctor, but... A man can change, can he not? I hope so. I'm not a hypocrite, Doctor. I won't say I'm better than I am, but when one is in constant pain with the gout and divers other disorders as I am, the wages of a debauched youth, it serves as a far more effective reproof against sin than a thousand sermons. I... Fancied when you accepted my invitation yesterday, it was less from curiosity than in hope of obtaining a glass or two of port. No, my only desire is that this afternoon's activity will distract me from my pain for a brief hour or two. As for liquor, I've long since sworn off it. An admirable resolution. Oh, I see you plan to put me to the test. Oh, I've no such thought. But there are four champagne glasses set out on your table here. And a pitcher of a most serious sparkling liquid. The liquid is water, Colonel. Simple water. Water? In champagne glasses? Yes. It is, as one might say, the essence of the experiment I propose to do. I tell me, is Lady Witchley coming? She is. And Charles Medburn? And Zeke Gascoigne? Yes. <laughs> Not afraid to gather all her suitors together in the same room. But I hardly think we shall have to trouble ourselves with the ancient rivalries of youth. <laughs> I hope not, Colonel. I wonder what you have in mind. I never did feel at ease in this gloomy chamber, Doctor. With all these reminders of the past, I thought portrait of Sylvia there. You remember her? She was your fiancée. Yes, the most dreadful sorrow of my life. You know I killed her, don't you? What? Sylvia. I poisoned her on the eve of our wedding. I thought she took sick. She did. It was a minor thing, a trifle... She would have recovered from it on her own soon enough. It was not the disease, Colonel, but the physician. I attended her myself. I mixed a powder for her, and by some error of calculation, that simple prescription sent her to her grave. Oh, Doctor, that story is well known. It was not your fault. You do wrong to blame yourself, especially after all these years. Uh, excuse me. Dr. Heidegger? Ah, the widow Witchley. Do come in. Well, 
same place to receive your guests, I must say. This gloomy, dustbin of a study, which hasn't seen the proper end of a broom in 50 years. You see the Colonel this year? Oh, yes. Colonel, how do you do? As well, madam, as can be expected. Indeed. Dr. Heidegger, I do not believe you told me that this, this person, whom above all others... I should wish to avoid would be here today. Indeed, madam, I did tell you, and you, as I recollect, registered no complaint at the time. Oh, well, then perhaps I did not hear you. Madam, I hope that whatever was between us in the past shall not prevent us from being civil to one another in the present. It shall. Uh, doctor, I trust we shan't be long. I am not used to being out these days. I know. And it has long been my professional opinion that more fresh air would do you good. Oh, easy enough for you to prescribe, Doctor. But it is difficult for me to go about the town now, knowing what people think and in what condition stands my reputation with them. Oh, you of all people should know that, for it was you who pronounced my husband dead of a disease which can't be found in any medical text. He died of a seizure. Uh, a seizure brought on by the foolish weakness of a wife who could not resist the flatteries of a certain jaded dandy. Come, come, madam. You shouldn't excite yourself. Pray have a chair. Oh, yes, yes, yes. None of it matters now, I suppose. <sighs> Thank goodness I am ugly now and can do no more. Enter. Uh, Falling apart. Yeah, ready to crumble into dust. 
like us. This rose blossomed five and fifty years ago. It was given me by my fiancée, Sylvia Ward, whose portrait hangs yonder. I meant to wear it in my bosom at our wedding, and for fifty-five years it has been treasured between the leaves of this old volume. One can barely tell its original color. My friends, I ask you, would you deem it possible that this rose of half a century could ever bloom again? Nonsense. You might as well ask whether an old woman's wrinkled face could ever bloom again. So I would think, too. But please, direct your attention now to this table over here. You see this pitcher of cut crystal? It contains a sparkling liquid. I will lay this weird rose on its surface. Well, it floats. What of that? Any flower will do the same. But wait. It's beginning to move. Look. Look, its leaves are stirring. It's changing color. Good heavens, it's reviving. You see? It's regaining its original hue. Oh, and the stalk, it, it, it's turning from brown to green. It has revived from its death-like slumber. It looks now as it did when Sylvia first gave it to me. Well, uh, do tell us how you affect it. Yes. You told us that picture contained nothing but water. And so it does. But how could mere water have such an effect? Have you ever heard of the Fountain of Youth? What? Which Ponce de Leon, the Spanish explorer, went in search of two or three centuries ago. Oh, that's a myth. Like El Dorado, the city of gold. Perhaps. But you see before you the results of that myth. But he, he never found it. Because he never sought it in the right place. The Fountain of Youth if I am rightly informed, is situated in the southern part of the Floridian Peninsula, not far from Lake Macaco. Its source is overshadowed by several gigantic magnolias, which, though numberless centuries old, have been kept fresh as violets by the virtues of this wonderful water. An acquaintance of mine, knowing my curiosity in such matters, has sent me what you see in the picture. Ah, all this is very interesting, if true, Doctor, but what may be the effect of this fluid on people? That, my dear Colonel, you shall judge for yourself, for that is why I have asked you here today. I should like you, all of you, to partake of this liquid, that I may observe the degree of its potency upon the human frame. Life is full of temptations. When we're young, we're tempted to leave it up to time to correct our mistakes. And when we're old, the temptation is to lapse to that bittersweet attitude of remorse. If only we could go back. Well, if the restoration of Dr. Heidegger's rose wasn't just a conjurer's trick, perhaps this is precisely what we shall see when I return shortly with Act Two.
which of us has not at one time or other had the fantasy of returning to the days of his youth armed with the knowledge of a lifetime? An experienced mind in a fresh body. Would this not be the most potent of combinations? You ask this here to drink that water? My friends, you are welcome to as much of this admirable fluid as may restore to you the bloom of youth. But how can we be certain it isn't poisonous? Could anything poisonous have had such a rejuvenating effect on my dear Sylvia's rose water from the fountain of youth? I don't believe it. Well, there's only one way to find out, isn't there? Carl, may I take it then that you consent to this experiment? It's probably a hokum, Doctor, but I'm game. I've certainly got nothing to lose. And perhaps a great deal to gain. And Doctor. Yes, madam. I see only four glasses on the table, but there are five of us in this room. True. With your permission, I will merely watch the progress of the experiment. I have chosen you four because I have at one time or other heard each of you profess regret over the follies and passions of your youth. Well, if the colonel is willing to drink it, so am I. Just remember, the doctor's not infallible. The others have all consented, Zeke. What about you? I don't know. You never did know, Zeke. Pour four glasses, doctor. I'm not the ignorant fool I used to be. Excellent. At last, the experiment can begin. Mrs. Whitley. It does have a nice sparkle to it. Colonel, I just hope it's not intoxicating. Charles, it's not too much, Doctor. Moderation is a virtue. And Zeke. I'm just glad there's no one else here to see us four old people making such fools of ourselves. I beseech you stay a moment before you drink. A word of caution. If this liquid should prove to have the properties which I inferred it from its effect on this rose, I think it would be well that with the experience of a lifetime to direct you, you should draw up a few general rules for your guidance in passing a second time through the perils of youth. Guidelines? What do you mean? Think what a sin it would be if with your peculiar advantages you should not become patterns of virtue and wisdom to all young people of the age. I believe we're all aware of the mistakes we made, Doctor. You don't need to remind us of them, We've repented long since. We'd be fools to ever go so astray again. Well, drink then, my respectable old friends. I rejoice that I have so well selected the subjects of my experiment. To, uh, to, uh, well, to our health. And to our happiness. Not unlike a, a glass of mineral water. I don't feel any different. Well, I can see a color in your countenance that wasn't there before. It's your imagination. No, a 
Unless I am very much mistaken, you all look somewhat refreshed. Oh, surely not me. Why, especially you, madam. I see a distinct suffusion in your cheek. Oh, I'm feeling positively rejuvenated. Do you think this liquid could truly be the real thing? I don't feel anything but a pain in my back. Why, this is most remarkable. As I sit here, you are visibly transforming. It's true. Look at this. I don't need my glasses anymore. I can see quite well enough without them. And I don't need my cane. The gout in my leg is gone. I think it's some kind of trick. The doctor has us under some spell. The power of suggestion. Hypnosis. Then how does that explain what's happening to your hair? What? It's growing darker. Look, in the mirror. Well, that's how it is. And the wrinkles in my face, they're gone. I'm myself 30 years ago. I look as I did at the very height of my political career. I noticed, Doctor, how they've all been quick enough to forget about me. Not at all, my dear widow. You look positively charming. What? Oh, surely, Colonel. You flatter. No, 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 no. You are, if I may say, in your buxom pride. Oh, have... Have, have I really changed? Come. Have a look in the mirror. Oh! Oh! Why, they're all gone. Every crow's foot. Every strand of gray hair... Oh, how ridiculous this old cap is. It makes me look like a widow. I must remove it at once. Clara, your hair. Look how it shines. As golden as when I was a young woman. Oh, but I am a young woman. Doctor. Oh, my dear. <laughs> oh, doctor. Pray favor me with another glass. Certainly, madam. Certainly. <laughs> the experiment is going admirably. You see, I have already filled the glasses for a second round. A toast. A toast to the clever and glorious doctor. Uh, but, uh, what are Charles and Zeke doing off in the corner? I've just hit upon the most ingenious scheme for making money since the invention of the cotton gin. What is that? Go where there's a need with a product that fulfills that need. Is this not the first principle of sound business? Yes. Well, then, what is it they need in the East Indies? The East Indies? Ice. They need ice. And where is their ice? Why, at the poles. Whole icebergs could be towed to the Indies by means of harnessing them to teams of whales. Charles. It was just such improvident speculations which led to your financial ruin before. But the cost, the cost would be minimal. <laughs> and think of the profit. Why, I'm sure to have a monopoly, am I not? Ah, uh, gentlemen and madam, as I see the good doctor has been kind enough to refill our glasses, I think this is the perfect time to announce to you all my intention of re-entering Politics. Bravo! Good! And what causes do you intend to espouse in these tranquil times, Zeke? I 
America for the Americans, naturally. Stem the tides of immigration which are threatening to rend the tough native fabric of our society. This isn't how I intended the experiment to go. The water is quite a success. It's the people who are the failures. I feel like a new created being. Where's Clara? Yeah, that's the mirror again. How do you do, madam? How do you do? <laughs> Look at these ridiculous clothes we wear. How unflattering they are. And how old-fashioned. <laughs> Remember how we used to walk all bent over and limping from the gout? Hey, look at the doctor. He sits there in his high back chair and stares at us with such a disapproving expression. Oh, come, doctor. You are much too solemn. Get up and dance with me. <laughs> What's a queer figure he'll cut? <laughs> Perhaps we should take the skeleton out of that cupboard for him. No, no, it shall be none but I. Come, doctor. You dear old soul. Let us dance. Excuse me, madam. I am old and rheumatic, and my dancing days were over long ago. I am certain, however, that any of these gay young gentlemen would be glad of so pretty a partner. Yes, Clara, dance with me. No, no, no. I will be her partner. It was me she promised her hand to 50 years ago. No, she promised it to me. But it is I who have always loved her the most. If that is true, Colonel, why did you not make good your vows at the time of my husband's death? I was free then. Permit me to do so now, Clara. If only we can go somewhere and be alone. Colonel, stand aside. What can you offer her but a life on an army post? Whereas I will someday be a... It is I who can offer you the most, Clara, for I will be rich beyond all your wildest imaginings. With your silly ice scheme, both of you out of our way. Good heavens. What? Oh, Doctor, we've almost forgotten you were here. What is it? I was watching you just now, the four of you quarreling, when my eye was caught by your reflections in the mirror. I could swear... I saw ridiculous contention among three old and withered grandsires for the skinny ugliness of a shriveled granddam. What? What did you call me? Dr. Heidegger, how dare you? Please, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be insulting. How all the impudence. The unnaturalness of what I saw made me forget my tongue. Indeed, sir. If your age did not serve as your protection, I... What would you do, Colonel? Would you challenge me to a duel? Three men contending for the hand of a beautiful woman. It's a timeless and that is precisely the problem in our story. Time. Are we in the past or the present? Or both? Perhaps what the doctor sees before him is reality, and what he saw in the mirror was truth. However we try to define the situation, one conclusion is inescapable. 
Dr. Heidegger's experiment is not going the way he expected it to. I shall return in a moment with Act Three. Few people know how to be old, observed a French moralist. Unfortunately, his observation might be extended, for at least in the story to which we're about to return, it would seem that few people know how to be young either. You would challenge me to a duel, Colonel Killigrew. Uh, no, no, of course not, Doctor. Forgive me, please. I will. And in turn, I ask pardon of Mrs. Witchley for my ill-chosen words. We were having such a good time. And you quite spoiled it, Doctor. A good time? Why, it seemed to me that in another minute, you all should have come to blows. Nonsense. Of course not. Never mind. You may atone, Doctor, by pouring us another round of that miraculous libation. Madam, you've had more than enough already. Any more. And you would regress to infancy. Ah, if the lady wants more, why can't she have it? Yes, you really are becoming an impossible old man, Doctor. Oh, look, you two, the doctor's right. If we drink any more of that water, we shall pass beyond our prime. Colonel, this isn't really of your business. Your arrogance is becoming extremely irritating. You're acting like a spoiled child. I am not. You are so. Oh, please, gentlemen. You mustn't come to blows for my sake. What? Yes, the water. Colonel, you'd better stand aside from that table. Oh, is that a threat, Charlie? Coming from a rump like you, I consider such presumption merely insulting. I've had enough of your sneering insolence. Oh, be careful. I... Take it, that pathetic blow means you challenge me to a duel. Well, I... <clears throat> yes, I do. You know that according to the rules which govern such matters, it is I, as the challenged, who have the choice of weapons. Gentlemen, dueling has been outlawed these 40 years past. Pray come to your senses. Do you mean to blow each other's heads off? I'm young and strong enough to take care of myself. I question that. My choice is a pistol. As you may recall, Charlie, I am a crack shot. You're going to fight a duel over me? What? Oh, yes. Of course it's over you, Clara. Yes. I'd gladly risk my life for you as proof of my devotion. What have I done? My friends, please, don't you see this kind of behavior is 40 years out of date? Yes, I know, Doctor, but what can I do? Poor Zeke, do you feel left out? Yeah, I would do anything for you, Clara. Anything. Well, then, perhaps you'll be so kind as to walk me home. Clara! It would make me the happiest man in this room. Clara... You can hardly expect to arrive safely at your door on the arm of this dishonest politician. Dishonest? Think of your reputation. This man's habit for graft and scandal is known everywhere. <laughs> and what are you? Nothing but a cashier libertine. If you allow this man to take your hand, Clara, you'd better count your fingers afterward to make sure he hasn't stolen one. Listen, Colonel. If that's what you really are. What do you mean? 
A person your age couldn't be more than a lieutenant. And a second lieutenant at that. Sir, I will defend my rank to the death. Very well. It is you who have challenged me, Colonel. You've been a thorn in my side long enough. And just as you have struck me, so I will strike you. My choice of weapons is the sword. But people don't even have swords anymore. This is madness. No, 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 Doctor. I have a brace of old cavalry swords at home which should serve us admirably. If you will accompany me, gentlemen, I shall dispose of you one at a time. But what about me? Oh, before I go to the field of honor in your cause, Clara, I shall deem it a privilege to walk you home. Thank you, Charles. Ah, she's already promised that privilege to me. No, no. It was my offer she first accepted. Take your hand from her waist.
that it is wrong to attempt to alter the natural order of things, for there is a reason why they are so. Doctor, what's happening to your hand? What? It's the rose you're holding. It's stirring. What? The petals. They're shriveling. <gasps> so they are. My poor Sylvia's rose is fading again. All its beautiful color gone. How quickly it regressed. It's as dry and fragile as when I first threw it into the pitcher. Clara! What's the matter? I... It's funny. I thought I felt a twinge in my leg. A pain, perhaps. No, 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 no. It's nothing, really. I think it is, Colonel. I suspect it is a pain remarkably like the gout. No. The conclusions seem inescapable, my friends. The water is indeed potent, but its effects are temporary. Have you no more of it? All that my friend sent me was in the pitcher, which you have broken. It, it feels so cold all of a sudden. That is because you are without your cap. Here it is. Oh, oh, thank you, Doctor. It's growing so dark. Where are my glasses? My dear old friends, welcome back. Where's my cane? I can't stand the pain in my legs a minute longer. Here it is, Colonel. Are we grown old again so soon? Come away from the mirror, widow. Oh. oh. My face has once again lost all its flesh. Oh, I wish that the coffin lived well. Come, come, good lady. Yes, you are old again. And see, the water of youth is all lavished on the ground. I, for one, bemoan it not. Such is the lesson you have taught me. I think, Doctor, that it is time we took our leave. Yes. Goodbye, then, my lifelong companions. We have, I think, learned much today. Have we not? Summer. It feels as cold to me as the last day of November. Would you like me to see you home, Willow? No, no. I can make my own way. As you wish. But uh, as we all live in the same direction, why don't we walk together away? I have a matter I wish to discuss with you. Does it have anything to do with Dr. Heidegger's experiment? It does. The doctor was certainly censorious, wasn't he? Indeed. Still, I think the lesson is well taken. You, Doc. Mm. You relish the prospect of returning to that miserable hovel of a room you live in? Uh, I see no alternative. No alternative? So none of you remember what the doctor said. These were his exact words. The fountain of youth, if I might be informed, is situated in the southern part of the Floridian Peninsula, 
Not far from Lake Macaco. Zeke, are you proposing that we travel to Florida? We know the general vicinity. Think about the events of the past hour. We came to blows. Who knows where it might have led if the effects of the water had not worn off. Now, shall we return, each of us, to his solitary torment? Or shall we make a pilgrimage to find this miraculous fountain? Man's eternal pursuit of greener pastures. Why does it so rarely occur to us to simply cultivate our own gardens? Certainly our story would have been quite different if the characters had heeded the words of James A. Garfield, the 20th President of the United States. If wrinkles must be written upon our brows, let them not be written upon the heart. The spirit should not grow old. I'll return with a final word shortly. Nathaniel Hawthorne, upon whose story our drama was based, is credited by some with having established the short story as an art form. His tales often dealt with the occult and sometimes with the loneliness and eccentricities of New Englanders. Dr. Heidegger's experiment dealt with all three. Our cast included Gordon Heath, Mary Jane Higby, Guy Sorrell, and Robert Dryden. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.